Blog Talk Radio. This show is brought to you by CoventryCreations.com. Do you ever feel like a plastic bag drifting through the wind, wanting to start again? Do you ever feel just so paper thin, like a house of cards, one blow from caving in? Do you ever feel already buried deep, six feet on the screens, but no one seems to hear a thing? Do you know that there's still a chance for you? Cause there's a spark in you. You just gotta ignite the light and let it shine just along the night like the fourth of July. Baby, you're a firework. Come on, show them why you work. Make them go Welcome to Keep It Magic. 
Keep It Magic, of course, is a talk show. We talk about all issues, metaphysical, witchy, um, astrological, Kabbalah. Um, we pretty much talk about everything, politics, you name it, we talk about it. Today we're going to be talking, of course, to the legendary bad boy of witchcraft, Christian Day. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, Teresa Jackie <laughs> off the air, of course, go to www.coventrycreations.com. Again, that's www.coventrycreations.com. Of course, while you're there, um, we do have a plethora um, of candles. Uh, whether you have problems in your life regarding love, romance, money, uh, you need to get a job, you need uh, spiritual cleansing, you need to get rid of somebody out of your life, you name it, we got a candle for it, cruise on over to CoventryCreations.com. The left-hand side of the page, uh, there will be a little link that says candles. Click on that particular link and uh, go with the platinum card, of course, because we have plenty of products that are waiting for you to get a kickstart in your life. If you have a problem, we have a candle for that. So make sure that you check that out. Uh, to reach me off the air, of course, go to www.psychicfriendsnow.com. Again, that's www.psychicfriendsnow.com. Fan us up on Facebook or like us on Facebook by cruising on over to facebook.com forward slash keeping, that's without a G, keeping it magic. Um, uh, Jackie was thinking she was in the South when she made that page, I think. Oh, well, she must have been talking to Dorothy while she was on the phone. <laughs> so it's the G keeping, was taken. <laughs> keeping it magic. Uh, of course, you can uh, fan page our sponsor, um, Coventry Creation Candles, uh, and also follow us on Twitter, which is um, at sign Keep It Magic. So, Jackie, what have you been up to, girl? Writing, changing the world, um, reading things. It's making trouble, generally making trouble across the board. I noticed you put up a new blog. Talk to me. Uh, well, it, I I have my um, Tuesday morning breakfast ladies who I just adore, and I was brought into this group um, about six months ago, invited to to have breakfast with them, and I didn't know walking into them, and every woman in this group has her own um, spiritual path that she loves, and I I just thought these are just a bunch of you know PTA moms from Ferndale, yeah, having breakfast after they drop their kids off. But I discovered that these are really all powerhouse women in their own right. And it's been fascinating because we're all on different spiritual paths, so we end up getting these great conversations. And we did. We ended up doing a spell together. They asked me to take them through a ritual to um, empower a situation. And then a week later we got together at somebody's house for lunch and we made a bonfire and we burned the spell that we made kind of releasing it and letting go and surrendering the whole thing. And as we were doing this, um, some of the women were commenting on how they admire me for my passion yeah, and that they're trying to find their own passion. And, and sometimes, especially in the moment when you're doing all the, the, the magical work, things just start coming out and you understand things in a different way. And I said, well, it's not just one thing. I don't have one passion. I have many passions and I think when we try and make it just one thing where we can't find the whole of it the whole of our passion and so this has been like a week-long conversation about all this and going through all this and and contemplating it and and so I wrote about it a short blog on that but ever since I started writing about this 
more and more information has been coming um, about what passion is and what it is to um, spark it up in your life to find mm-hmm. it. And one of, again, one of the big things is that it's not one thing. It's not oh, I'm going to be passionate about toast, you know, whatever. It's it's going to it's it's a multitude of things, and it's those multitude of things that um, get you to where your passion lies. And then, of course, right after I post that. I'm reading an article on Facebook about um, this incredible woman from World War II. Uh, her name is Irina Sendler. Mm-hmm. And and I, of course, reposted the quick little article. But um, she w- was an amazing woman. Um, and I started thinking about how she made her mark upon the world. And I'm... And I don't know if she knew how much of a mark she was making upon the world. What she did in World War II, she was a Catholic um, social worker. And um, during the early parts of the war, what she would do is she would um, um, uh, make false documents for Jewish folks to get them out of the area in in the ghetto in Warsaw. So she's a, um, a Polish Catholic social worker. And then... After a while, what she did is she started smuggling out the children and the babies from from the ghettos, and so and saving them. And she kept track of their families. and And um, obviously, she was passionate about this, and she took her life into her own hands about this. But what what was amazing is what she did and how she changed the world. And she kept track of the parents and the children, and she would put all the information in this glass jar that she would bury under the tree at her house. Mm-hmm. And so she kept track of and tra- tried to reunite them. And she lived until she was 98 years old. But, again, let's go travel this forward. Um, it's a teacher in Kansas who um, gave an assignment to her kids about doing a year-long National History Day project. The kids found this article from a 1942 News and World Report that told her story. And from them finding this in an old newspaper and then following this thread through and creating a, a writing a performance about this woman's life and then it went viral after that, then they made another mark upon the world. And and really it's, I think it's finding your passion that allows you to make your mark upon the world. Yeah, I agree. But, but you, but, and you can't really make that mark upon the world until you find your passion. But you know what? It doesn't work the opposite way. You can't find your passion to make your mark upon the world. It, um, so it's just been fascinating really talking about this. I have so many cl- customers have come to me going, I just want to um, find my passion, and I just don't feel like I've, I've connected with anything in life. And mm-hmm. and I think it's that, that finding your passion is, is about digging down into who you really are as a person. We um, We tend to... Um, homogenize things so much and think that we have to follow the rules all the time. But you know what? Passion has nothing to do with following the rules. Nothing at all. And look at how this teacher didn't follow the rules. The teacher wanted the kids to reach outside of their normal world to find something interesting. And then um, Irina said, I have to change the world. So all these people who have made their mark upon the world and literally changed it. And, um, And it's that's just been the the theme lately, and that's well, as you know, it kind of happens um, yeah. in my life. You've you've known me a few years, and you see how these themes come, and I kind of worry 
um, this idea until I understand it and, and fully and can communicate it better. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's the case also with with Christian. One of the things that um, I love about Christian Desk, um, and of course, you know, his website is www.salemhex.com. Uh, again, that's www.salemhex.com. I'm about to bring him on, but um, I'll give him a little love beforehand. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, one of the things that I love about him uh, is that he is unashamedly successful um, at yep. what it is that he does. And a lot of people can say a lot of different things in regards to, um, uh, you know, some of his mannerisms and some of the ways that he does things. But the fact that he's done them, I think uh, people should look at sometimes more so than um, uh, than our public personas. Um, and, uh, Jackie, like you said, you've known me for three and a half years, and uh, um, my public persona in regards to um, being a radio show host and being an intuitive and being an astrologer um, and being a copulist um, is much more outgoing and extroverted and showy and, uh, you know, than, than, than who it is that I am on the inside. And one of the things that I'm um, very grateful for with Christian is, uh, you know, that there was an intensive time in his life in which I saw who that person was on the inside, okay? Mm -hmm. And it made me um, really understand uh, what business is about. It made me really understand what um, uh, uh, putting yourself forward despite the critics, despite um, people that may be adversarial or people that have um, their own personal agendas or um, people that um, just want to be disagreeable um, uh, rather than just disagree. Um, and uh, I think that we live um, at this particular point in quite a poisonous, toxic atmosphere um, in many ways. Um, and uh, you've heard me many times talk about, uh, um, you know, the good and the bad, Jackie, of, uh, of social marketing um, right. and, and social media. And I think that uh, a lot of people, um, you know, need to spend a little bit more time living and a little bit less time living on Facebook. That's all I've got to say about it. <laughs> One of the things that I do appreciate about Christian um, as a business person as a, a spiritual person, is that he he is willing to take the risk. He's willing to take the risk to um, to follow his dream, to follow his passion, to make his mark on the world, to say what's on his mind, to write about um, what's on his mind, and write about. Um, I mean, the Witch's Book of the Dead is is a great book, and I have to say, I, I, as I was watching the Witch's Book of the Dead's success, I kind of benchmarked my own book's success against that, and you know, we had those conversations like, my book's almost doing as good as Christians. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> He absolutely is um, the master at, at marketing and marketing himself and really owning um, his own brand and owning who he is. I mean, we've had um, – I make candles for him that are private labeled, um, and we make special recipes just for him through Hex. And 
and we've had some great conversations about branding and and taking those risks and that's um that's kind of, you know, going back to what I was talking about, passion. Passion absolutely requires risk, and magic requires risk. So he teaches those um, lessons all the time is that you're you're risking um, not being perfect. You're risking failure. Mm-hmm. You're risking, you know, and, 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 hey, he's controversial. We know that, and, mm-hmm. and Christian will, will say that too. But it's that risk that he takes to see where the line is. It it pushes us all to see where the line is, where we're going to take that line. And whether you agree with him or disagree with him, he does push that line to say, how um, how quiet are we going to be? Are we going to talk about what's on our mind? And and I think I, I think that the there was a lot of controversy that went on around him uh, during the whole you know Charlie Sheen Warlock thing. Um, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, which, by the way, I will um, uh, stroke my own um, e-penis, <laughs> that's electronic penis, um, on this. And him and I were having a discussion, this was a couple of years ago, and I said, you know what, I really don't like the word witch. I like the word um, warlock better because it has a much more affability factor. <laughs> you know, it's sexier. I just like it better. Um, uh, and I'm glad that he, he took it and, and, yeah. and rolled with it. And mm-hmm. he saw the opportunity with the Charlie Sheen thing um, to be able to put, um, whether it be magic, Kabbalah, candles, voodoo, hoodoo, um, uh, necromancy, um, everything out into the public sphere in a very, very ballsy sort of way, which ultimately is going to make this more publicly uh, acceptable. Um, it's going to be those particular ballsy things because people are going to become ultimately desensitized to it and not think that it's, you know, crazy um, uh, skulls burning in the backyard, although he does have a skull. Right. Um, I want to quote, I want to quote something from the Witch's Book of the Dead, which yeah, I loved. Sure. I loved it so much I got my highlighter out. Um, and it's it's in the letting your inner witch out, which I love. You know, I talk about your inner witch all the time too. So I love this. Spirits hate boring people and would rather avoid them. If you want the spirit world to take notice, celebrate your nonconformity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the competent witch weaves herself between the worlds in exciting and sometimes shocking ways. When you allow your own unique soul to come through, you will discover your inner witch, an archetype of great mystical power and wisdom. Yeah, with with that being said, Jack, I think we should just bring him on the air. Um, welcome to Keep It Magic, Christian. I'm so, uh, first of all, I want to tell you, I'm so glad that um, that we are friends, and um, I appreciate all the help that you have done for me over the years. We've known each other for almost 10 years, um, uh, and uh, I appreciate uh uh, you know everything that you do for the community in regards to making um, alternative forms of spirituality, regardless of what it is, more acceptable. Well, thank you, and thank you for having me. You know, obviously, I have a great respect for both of you, and uh, I love Jackie's candles. And you know, because I've known you from when I was a keen reader. You know, when I used to do the phone readings, I I don't get to do them much anymore. You know, because the stores keep me busy, but Every once in a while, I have to sort of dip back into it to keep the talent going, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you wrote a book on it, so, I mean, uh, uh, in a a different sort of way, um, uh, which I think is uh, pretty exciting. Now, you recently, I want to get some of the stuff out of the way first so that we can get into a great discussion in regards to your book, um, 
because there's a lot of things that I want to um, uh, to talk about in, in regards to uh, uh, the Witch's Book of the Dead. Um, talk to us about your new store in New Orleans. Well, I just opened uh, a, another Hex at, at 1219 Decatur Street. Now, it's very strange how it happened because many years ago, Sean and I were walking down Lower Decatur Street, and Sean, you know, my best friend that I founded Festival of the Dead with, which is you know, my October events in Salem, and mm-hmm. you know, we're walking down the street, and I said, you know, if I ever opened a witch shop, I, I would want it to be in New Orleans, in the French Quarter, and on this part of this street because Lower Decatur is this very eclectic, you know, there's all sorts of, you know, head shops and collectible emporiums and little local bars, and it's just got this real interesting vibe to it. And uh, in December, my friend Carol that owned Witchy Living decided she wanted to focus more on the Witch's Ball. I mean, she did really well with the store, but you know, it just wasn't her, you know, you guys talked a little bit earlier about passion, and it wasn't her, you know, she realized it wasn't her passion. So she right. decided she didn't want the space anymore. And I was like, well, definitely. And uh, I, I, it was funny because I'd had a reading in November from Priestess Miriam at the Voodoo Spiritual Temple while I was down in New Orleans. It was just incredible. It's like the oracle from the Matrix, you know, and she had said, oh, February is when everything's going to change. And I'm thinking, oh, what the heck she's talking about? And, uh, and it has. You know, I mean, I opened on February 1st, and uh, it's very similar to the Hex in Salem, but there's, you know, this art that locals make here that have not made their way up to Salem yet, so that, you know, there are some uniquenesses. But, you know, for those that have been to the shop in Salem, they'll, they'll definitely recognize things like your candles, for example, <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the different potions and, and stuff that we have. So it's it's a really... You know, I think it really speaks to New Orleans. I mean, Hex and Salem is, is a great store, but it was always outside of the norm of what a Salem witchcraft shop is. They're very safe. They're very, you know, they're beautiful shops, but they're just, they don't, they, they definitely play on the safer side of the street. Whereas down in New Orleans, most of the shops are willing to go that extra mile into a, a different direction. And, I find that it's not as much the shallow end of the pool, you know, and it, it and it's you know, I think in some ways that may may, hex, may may be what makes hex work in Salem because it's so differentiated. But you know, there's also a lot more magical shops in Salem than there are in New Orleans. You know, oddly because right. we're a bigger city here in New Orleans, there's about uh, seven or eight or whatever in the French Quarter, whereas in you know, downtown Salem, there's got to be like twenty. Right. Right. But yeah, definitely. I uh, I'm really excited to to see you in New Orleans, and uh, I can't wait to see it in November. Cannot wait to see it in November. So I'm super excited about that, and I love where you are because I know exactly that spot, and um, uh, it's just it's like this perfect little. You're right. It's this perfect little eclectic place. It's very busy. Decatur is a very busy street, so I was super excited when you said that. I was like, no way. So you're you're living. What I like about this is, what I like is that it's uh, Lower Decatur is the one part of the French Quarter where a lot of locals go. You know, the locals don't go to Bourbon Street. They rarely go to Royal Street. You know, they tend to prefer Lower Decatur. You know, for the local atmosphere, the cafes. So it's a different mix. Whereas if I were just three blocks down the street, I'd be all tourists. 
and that's fine. I mean, I don't mind, you know, I love visitors, but it's nice to have that community feeling of, you know, I got a lot of regulars that come in every week, and, and in New Orleans, they know what they want. You know, in Salem, up in the North Shore, you know, in New England, you got to sort of drag it out of them. You know, we're, we're a little bit more reserved in that regard. You know, whereas here, people come into the shop, and they're like, some bitch be banging my man. I want to take that <laughs> hole out, you know, and they will. <laughs> they know exactly what they want. You know, they come in, they know what they're trying to do, even if they're not witches. You know, they're just regular tourists or, or locals or whatever. You know, they come in, they know what they want. You know, and they just tell you <laughs> right off the bat. Now, it Chris- is, it's very different, even just um, New England people in general. Um they they're they're gonna you gotta drag it out of them. Mm-hmm. They're very quiet and private. What are you gonna say, Storm? I'm sorry. I, I was gonna ask Christian because I think that this may be this is something uh, to explore for just a couple of minutes with him. Um, Christian, what do you think that the difference is between spirituality in the Northeast, and, and I'm talking in general, and spirituality in uh, in New Orleans? How is it looked upon? With uh, the people, the, the residents, and the people that visit both of their shops. Um. Well, it's interesting because you know there's there are identity problems everywhere. You know, like in Salem, the identity crisis is you know are we a maritime history with arts and culture and fine upscale shopping, or are we the witch city? You know, there's always been that. But uh, you know, honestly, since I've been in the game. I think I've changed that a lot. You know, I think there's, Salem's definitely become a tapestry where many of these people in the industry really feel like we are a combination of all these things. You know, whereas eight years ago it was, you know, are you this, are you that? But, I mean, New Orleans has that same thing in a different way. You know, there are people that move into the French Quarter and wish that all the live music would go away. You know, instead of witchcraft, it's a lot. You know, they're not trying to get rid of witchcraft. They're trying to get rid of the live music. You know, I moved here, and, you know, I wanted to be quiet, and it's like, this is a bedroom community. The French Quarter is a bedroom community, if you can believe that. Um, <laughs> Only you if know, like, Never mind. Right. <laughs> Only if you're a hooker. Parallel universe <laughs> or something, I don't know. But, I mean, either way, it, it's New Orleans. I mean, we've had live music here for hundreds of years, and it, it's That's a fun funny. city, and the energy... I mean, what I love about um, Salem is the history, and, you know, there is a magical history, though it's very subtle, because, you know, most of the people hanged as witches in 1692 were not witches. You know, I do believe that Bridget Bishop might have done a little thing or two, and Chichipa certainly um, understood uh, bits of magic and folklore. But here in New Orleans, there's hundreds of years of magical history. You know, voodoo and hoodoo. You know, hoodoo is if 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 voodoo is the religion here, then hoodoo is the magical practice, as you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And so there's that here, and it's very very old. And it's you know even before you know a lot of the I've been sort of in these debates lately about you know is it the Haitian immigration and that's that's the only real voodoo and but there was voodoo here before the Haitian immigration. There was it you know, it was more of the Congo element, but there was um you know, there were those dances on Congo Square and, you know, as early as seventeen thirty. I mean there were these um explorations of African, Native American, European spirituality that were all blending together much like the food did. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and everything sort of came together and syncretized. I mean, that's something you don't really see in New England because it's such a Puritan. You know, we're not the melting pot in New England that New Orleans is. But that has its own charm, you know what I mean, because it becomes very quaint in a way. And, you know, being in Salem can be a very old-world sort of uh, British experience. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. it's a little more staid, but it's quiet. You know, so it's like Salem's a nice place, you know, when you want to relax a little more. You know, it's not a party town, but it is a town where you can really appreciate the food. You know, we've got great seafood and that sort of thing. So, I mean, both of them are magical sister cities. I mean, the the, the most prominent connection besides the magical connection, perhaps more prominent, is that New Orleans was the greatest port town in America throughout the 1800s, and Salem was the greatest port town in the 1700s, and port towns are very magical places because cultures converge on them. <clears throat> and it, that in New England and in um, in Salem and in in New Orleans, you have mm-hmm. such a huge blend of all the different folks. So I love it. I love your take on 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 your your favorite cities. Me um, too. Me too. We have to take a break. We do. We have to take a break. Um, we will be right back with more Christian Day. Um, cruise on over to his website, www.salemhacks.com. Is there a new website yet, Christian, for the other store? Um, um, it's going to be all combined at hexwitch.com. I just haven't had a chance to combine them yet. So if you go to hexwitch.com, it brings you to Salem Hacks. But we're only going to be doing the web orders out of Salem since most of the, since almost everything in both stores is the same. Okay, okay. So you know, cruise so on over to SalemHacks.com. Give him um, a lot of love over there with your, your patronage. And, of course, visit us at CoventryCreations.com where you can get all of your candle magic needs and everything else. So, you know, cruise on over. We're going to cruise right now to a little bit of Melanie Amaro. You're listening to Keep It Magic. We'll be back in a flash.
daughter of the X Factor, Melanie Amaro, singing her Pepsi commercial song, Respect, R-E-S-B-C-T. I'm telling you, I need that um, that audio tune uh, phone, Jackie, that we were talking about earlier. Oh, you want the auto tune phone? Okay. Yeah, I want the auto tune phone, and then we can just sing on the air, you know, whole shows. Well, you, you know, know we'll just turn I it all into song. I don't need an auto tune phone because I will own my bad notes. <laughs> <laughs> I will own them, and I will make them mine. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've had Christian serenade me before in the air. Really? Well, you not on the air, on the phone. Wait, what did you do? What did I do? Singing to me, oh, Barbara Streisand's song, you. When you were get, yeah, when you were getting ready for the wedding. Oh, yeah, I sang that wedding. Well, I sang at a few weddings, but then I remember the one you talked about. <laughs> my friend Janet had me. So everybody... And uh, yeah, it's, I won't be singing on the radio. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> we should upload some of your songs. Send me some of your songs. One of the things. Oh, you know what song that I want? Noise pollution. Oh, she just played that to Lori once on the, in the store. That's when she was. This was many, like 15 years ago. She was mad at me. She left me this nasty voicemail. So I turned it into music and like. <laughs> So I played it for her once. I said, remember this message you left for me when you were mad at me? And uh, she was dancing around the store. It was actually kind of funny in retrospect. I love it. If you can find humor in conflict, I mean, you know, I recently got kind of taken out to the woodshed because, uh, you know, you know, I, I am sort of an ambassador for Salem, so I, I have to be mm-hmm. a little more careful about how snarky I get these days. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, I mean, people were a little upset because I got a little snarky on my show about yes, a couple I. people. I, well, you know, it's just who I am. But, you know, I, I explained it as, you know, it's, I try to deal with things with humor. You know, if I make light of the thing, it doesn't feel as upsetting. You know, it's like you have a laugh at it. And, that, of course, I mm-hmm. sometimes forget that when you're having a laugh at somebody else's expense, that's probably the worst thing you can do. I mean, you know, you could come after somebody with a gun and they wouldn't care. But, you know, you start making fun of them and their, you know, their world has fallen apart, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that, the, and one of my greatest lessons uh, in this particular lifetime is quit listening to everybody else-ness, you know. They, uh, just stay in your own little world, don't worry about your everybody else-ness, and things will be wonderful. Um, Christian, talk to me about Festival of the Dead. Well, um, Festival of the Dead is, you know, that really was my start in all of this. You know, I used to be a web developer, designer uh, for ad agencies and startups, and, and so in 2003, uh, Salem's Halloween tourism had really gone down. You know, they really weren't feeding it. And so Sean and I decided, well, why don't we create something to liven it back up? And, you know, it doesn't have to be a competitor. To, you know, we have our annual haunted happenings, which is, you know, the overall festival, which is, wonderful and at the time it was a little bit less than wonderful so we said well we don't really want to compete with it but we want to add something into it that gives a more spiritual dimension and so that's it was born i mean we you know we had all different kinds of events like the witch's ball uh the vampire's ball uh sean did a necromancy workshop and you know i um I did the Dumb Supper with him, which was, you know, we still do. And I'm this year for the first time. I'm I'm doing I'm bringing the Necromancy Workshop back um, for Saturday, the 27th of October. And that was really kind of how all, you know, I mean, I knew that 
Samhain, Halloween, you know, Samhain is the old Celtic name. That was the festival of the dead to the Celts. And I knew that from a spiritual perspective it was about the dead, but it really didn't become real for me until I took Sean's necromancy class, and he had the skull laid out on the table of the altar, you know, and everybody's supposed to go up and put their hands on the skull and, and cast a spell. And I get up there, and the thing has this vibration to it. So the I skull? Think, you know, oh, yeah. So I'm, you know, me, I'm the, I'm the eternal skeptic. Sean used to call me the atheist witch. You know, and I'm I'm <laughs> tilting the skull, and I'm making sure there isn't some kind of joy buzzer in it or something. What did you do, Sean? You know, and, and it was it was truly vibrating. I mean, I was... Like, wow, this is incredible, you know, and of course the spell worked and just um, I really feel as though, you know, that was my starting point into really taking a closer look at our relationship with the dead. And, you know, I remember after that first year we had our, our post-mortem, which is a corporate term for, you know, after finish of a product, project, but it Mm-hmm. fit perfectly with the Festival of the Dead, and we're saying to each other, you know, this really confronted our mortality. I mean, yeah, we all believe in life after death and whatever, but, you know, it's just to make it so visceral. And, you know, this mm-hmm. is now the 10th year of Festival of the Dead. And it's just amazing how far we've come, you know. And, you know, we still have all the tried and true events, but we've added the morning tea which is like a dumb supper. You know, a dumb supper, for those that don't know, is a silent dinner where instead of having a medium translating the words of the spirit for you, you go into a silent mode, you know, and everything's served in reverse. You know, dessert comes first and the silverware is all on the opposite side as it normally is. And this sort of mental fidgeting with people creates that basis by which they enter into spirit relationships and people will often come and say wow I you know I saw my grandfather or, or what have you and you know my favorite people that come to that event are what I call the husband you know their wives the drag them and they really don't think uh-huh. they're the husband you know their wives uh-huh. drag them to this they, they don't believe in this sort of thing you know and then afterwards, they, they come up to me and they go, oh, my God, I saw this. My grandparents were dancing on the ballroom floor. I saw my dog. And I didn't believe in all this. I didn't believe in all this. I just did one at a haunted hotel called the uh, the, the Grand Midway Hotel in Winver, Pennsylvania. And they had the entire ceiling painted to look like the universe card of the Crowley deck. And, oh, wow. And there were people there that were total disbelievers until the dinner was over and they came up and they're like, oh, my God, you know, I really got this feeling of of spirit. And, you know, now we've added the morning tea, which is sort of like the jump supper, only now you speak and you share stories of your loved ones. And they have this big scrapbook that we call the Book of the Dead. And people put in, you know, mementos, photos, even suicide notes, you know, things that really connect back to those loved ones. And it's all... You know, so there's the witch's ball, you know, of course, it's the real name of the official witch, you know, the official Salem witch's Halloween ball. And that is the party. You know, we party with the dead. We we enjoy, you know, that connection in a more festive way. Vampire ball, similar, but, you know, we're exploring that relationship with the vampire, which is really a metaphor for sex and death. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little bit mm-hmm. edgy. It's a little bit saucy. So, I mean, you know, all of these events explore death in different ways. And you know we've you know we're in our tenth year, so it's really been 
a fantastic thing. Christian, let me ask you a major question. How do you make it through the dumb supper without talking? I have no idea because I am the big mouth, the biggest big mouth. <laughs> and I, I wondered the first year we did it, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this. But it's funny because it actually pulls out so much internally. And, you know, Leanne likes to say I schedule all my grief for that one night of the year. And, <laughs> you know, I'll cry, I'll often become very emotional. But somebody pointed out to me at this dumb supper in um, in Winburg, Pennsylvania, uh, a woman by the name of Kathleen Ramsland, who's an author on vampires and serial killers. And she mm-hmm. was at the dinner. And something she pointed out to me, she said, you know, why do you take everyone's hand at the beginning? You know, as they walk, you know, they come up to the altar, I bless them and hold their hands, and they put their mementos down, you know, then I bless them, you know. And I'd never really thought that much other than, you know, I'm blessing them. And then it hit me, at the amount that I tend to cry at this event, I really think a lot of it is that you're, you know, when you're hosting this sort of thing, you're taking on the emotions of those people because I've touched every person that is now sitting down. Do you use sanitizer? And so, I'm sorry? <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you use sanitizer? I should. I should. I don't. But, yeah, I know. I'll have to. I'd be there with those uh, those little Clorox bleach wipes, and after every person, I'd be washing my hands with it, you know? <laughs> oh, God. Well, I don't, but... But, I mean, I do, it takes on that emotional factor. So now, in a sense, I'm taking on some of the pain of these people or the overflow of it, you know what I mean? Because people do cry. It's very emotional. Someone asked on the chat if it was a dumb supper or a dump supper. It's actually, it's a dumb supper as in, you know, silent. Um, right. You know, and, the, and of course, the festival led to the book. You know, that was the natural progression, and I know you mentioned that um, mm-hmm. on the description, I think. Did you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, we talked did. about your book. Yeah. Yes, I did. Well, here, here, here is my question, Christian, which I'm going to go into the controversial now. Everybody, you know, be be ready. <laughs> I'm about to head into the controversial. Um, in the in the last decade, uh, at the turn of the century, there was, of course, the popularization of mediumship. Um, um, you know, with John Edwards and Sylvia Brown and James Van Pralt and Lisa Williams and, you know, the whole, uh, the list goes on. Um, why do you think when it's re- really what, you, you know, much of what Necromans say um, is about is mediumship, um, why do you think that it has been sanitized so much um, over the past 10, 12 years? Well, I think it's been sanitized over the last hundred years, really. I mean, or more with the with the with the emergence of the spiritualist church, which is wonderful, by the way. I mean, if you want, if someone wants to learn mediumship, I can't think of a better way than sending them to the mm-hmm. spiritualist church. Those people have really perfected the process. Um, right. But at the same time, it is very—I don't want to say watered down, because it, it's not watered down. It just strips it of its ritualization. You know, I feel like. The reason they have done that, and it certainly, I don't necessarily know if it's, I mean, it has been done more in the last 10 years. You know, they don't have the trumpet sittings and that sort of thing that they had in the spiritual mm-hmm. church 100 years ago. But I think what they're trying to do is not so much water it down, but make it more relatable. You know, because if people do not understand complex rituals 
and arcane languages. You know, not that I do, but I don't really use arcane languages either. But you know what I'm saying. If they don't, they're not mm-hmm. going to get into the whole nitty gritty of you know some ancient Hebrew tome or what have you. And you know, they just want to make the connection to spirit. Basic mediumship is a wonderful way to do it. You know, because it really entails just meditation you know, relaxation and connection. And, you know, of course, protection. I mean, a big part of, you know, my book, I would have put it higher up, the publisher, you know, sort of capped it off at Chapter 5, was my chapter on vanishing and exorcisms in the Witch's Book of the Dead because it is very important. You know, often you hear the Ouija board demonized, you know, and you hear, oh, mm-hmm. if you use the Ouija board, you've got to use protection, it's dangerous, it's this and that. Well, all spiritual work is dangerous. Even prayer, when you go into that place, you're ringing a dinner bell into the spirit world saying, fresh meat, here's somebody I can connect through. And frankly, no matter what kind of spiritual work you're doing, there should be a mindset of protection, even if it's just strengthening your aura periodically. You know, maybe once a week you do a meditation of a protection shield around you, but, you know, you say, I only allow those things in that are good for me. You know, and, that, and that's very, very important. I love that you're addressing it in that way because you know when when you're a little witchling and you come into the um, into the homogenized magical world, you're told don't touch a Ouija board and don't do this and don't do that. And I think that there's a bigger danger to the Ouija board rather than like calling up a demon is getting addicted to it. I know different people who are totally addicted to their uh, talking spirit board. And they don't make a move without it. I think the it. biggest danger about singling out the Ouija board is that people, what happens is, I mean, yes, it can be all those things, but so can a pendulum. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, in other and words, I think sometimes when they over-dramatize the dangers of the Ouija board, they minimize the dangers of the other things. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And whatever protection yeah. you would do for a Ouija board, you should also do for mediumship, pendulums, you know, meditation, prayer, things that bring you into the spiritual realm should also always be done with a mindset of, you know, knowing that not everything out there is bubbles and light. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what I love about, um, well, just just you and, and, and your book, which is Book of the Dead, is because we've lost touch with our death process mm-hmm. here and um, just in, in our modern culture. Um, I, I think it's very difficult for us to express the pain of death um, uh, in regards to, you know, if you look at it, you know, we don't mourn anymore as a society. We repress all of this stuff, and as a result, you know, we're all on antidepressants, myself included. Um, <laughs> uh, um, uh, and, uh, you know, we really, um, uh, I think that these are some of the roots that we went back to, and, you know, although that people... Um, it may think it's foolish. When my cat died, um, uh, Rex, um, I really spent a lot of time really feeling that particular grieving. What, what, it, what it was like. Um, you know, what, what was does the it, cat's you know, name? Rex. You remember my noisy cat? That used to meow all the time. That was the name of my. Yeah, that was Rex, the name of my R-E-X. first dog. The, that was the um, name of my first. Well, maybe it reincarnated and came to me, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I really felt that particular process, and I think that that, you know, Jackie, I agree with you. I think that, that we're all disconnected from it. Well, yeah, because well, we... Uh, I mean, 
Go ahead. Well, the pain of death is twofold. Number one, there's the loss of the person or, you know, animal that we've lost. But this death always brings something else to us as well. It's our own fear of death. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. the there's the loss of the person, but then there's the, you know, and we're all spiritual people. We've all had these experiences that, that tell us what is real and what isn't. But let's face it. I mean, you know, with delusion and everything else factored into the mix, you know, who ultimately, you know, maybe we imagined it all. I mean, I don't believe that, obviously. But I guess my point is there's always that piece of doubt. There's always that, even if it's the hair, even I think the most spiritually together people will have that thread of doubt. You know, what's really going to happen? Is it? Is this it? Oh, am I going to go to hell? Am I going to go to heaven? Am I going to go nowhere? Is, it, is that just the end of it all? Is it? You know, you just you always have that feeling of doubt because even when you commune with spirits, they don't tell you everything, and mm-hmm. even if they do, how much of it is true? You know what I'm saying? You you have to always wonder, you know, for yourself. You have to keep questioning. You have to keep questioning the veracity. I mean, even the Bible tells us that, you know, that when you're dealing with spirits, you have to question the veracity. You know, that that, that mm-hmm. I think is true across the board. I mean, you always have to wonder, right. you know, what's really being said to you and how true it is. And so that journey, it's really never-ending. You know, you don't suddenly reach this point where, Okay, I've got it all now, and I'm I'm where it's at, and my my right. my spiritual growth has stopped. I don't think it ever does. Well, you know, when I have with my students, I always saying when they get enamored with a spirit that they're talking with, I said just because they're dead doesn't mean they're smart. You know, because we still have, like you said, we still have this journey. They they haven't just absorbed all knowledge in that moment just because they're dead now. Um, so it it's a good. It's a good rule of thumb, and, and in in the spiritual realm, questions are your power. Question everything. Why am I here? What do you want? What's, why are you saying this? You know, why, why, why? And even in the spiritual report. world, just as it's true in the physical, everyone has a motive. Everyone has a bias. Everyone has a desire for what they're trying to achieve. And if you don't mm-hmm. fit into that mode... Well, you don't know that you're getting the full story. So, I mean, it's very important to use your own psychic ability. Remember, we're all creatures of spirit. And so we, too, can tap into that uh, ability to discern what is true from what is not. And I, I think that you have to use just as much with the spirits as you do with the living. Yes, because you can't... When you're young and and you're immature and inexperienced, somebody tells you something, you go, oh, okay. Like it's, you know, how many times you've seen a kid come up and say, well, so-and-so said it, so it must be true. And then as you grow up, you learn that discernment um, and say, wait a minute, I, I'm, I'm going to call bullshit on this and say and, and want some clarity on this. But the same goes in your development as a, as a, a spiritual practitioner. You know, the first time I really connected with, with working with spirits, I was like, oh, okay. And and I'm 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 just excited that I'm I can connect. <laughs> I was just excited about that connection. And oh, granted, this is a long time ago, but then you learn. Oh well, wait a minute. What are you really saying to me? What what's um, happening? What's um, is this truth? Is this your? What is your agenda? What is my agenda? And I love that you said that. Um, now, 
what do you, you know, you talk about altars in your book, you talk about altars to the dead and you talk about really connecting with that. Um, and it's so funny how many people say, well, why can't I just talk to him in my head? And and what do you, what, well, I, how think, do you I think, you know, I think that you can, I mean, again, I mean, here's the bottom line. Everybody has a different level of skill. Everybody discovers their skills in different ways. You know, you take um, singing, for example. You know, I didn't know that I could sing until I was 22. And I had a voice teacher, and she took me from, you know, and really I could honestly say I couldn't sing at 22, but it was all through my nose. But I went to this voice teacher, and, you know, she made me sound a lot better. And I've heard her take people that were not very good at all and make them sound amazing. Not everybody is going to sound like Luciano Pavarotti, no matter how much they try. But somebody can take what they have and develop it to a level that's more than passable. I mean, you look at Joe Cocker. He made millions of dollars, and I don't particularly care for his vocal quality, but he, it, 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 you you sometimes will replace vocal quality for style. I mean, you look at a Janice Joplin. She's got a very raspy, hoarse voice, which normally would be like, oh, they can't sing. But she took it and embedded a style into it that made her one of the most famous singers that ever lived. So, right. you, you again, you take that talent, you bring it into a new aesthetic, which may become the norm, where people might actually look at a Luciano Pavarotti and say, oh, I hate the sound of that. You know, so you've created a new aesthetic. And magic is like that. You know, not everybody, everyone has the ability to do magic and everybody is psychic to different degrees. Some people will have it naturally and they'll be like one of these indigo children, you know, that see spirits and all that sort of thing. And they grow up and that becomes their career. Me, I had to work at it. I mean, I was a perceptive child, but I was not, I was a Wendigo child. You know, those Native American werewolf spirits. I was quite the terror. <laughs> You know, I wasn't seeing dead people. You know, I don't have one of those backstories. I had to work at it. You know, I took Lori Cabot's witchcraft class in 1990 to develop my psychic abilities, and she really focuses a lot on the Silva Method style, you know, meditation to achieve, you know, psychic uh, entombment, and it works really well. I still use it all these years later, and, you know, it's, it's very powerful, but I had to work at it. Do I think I'm a good psychic? I think I'm a pretty damn good psychic, but I had to really work at it. You know, some yeah. people will have it naturally. So in magic, it's the same. You know, sometimes you need to facilitate that operation. Some people are going to be seeing dead people and don't need any help from an altar at all. Other people benefit from the building of the relationship. I'm one of those people. The spirits come to me here and there. Like when I did readings on the phone, I wasn't, I didn't bill myself as a medium because they came when they came and they didn't when they didn't. And I was always afraid if somebody called up asking for that specifically, it wasn't just going to be instantaneous for me. You know, that's why, one of the reasons I enjoyed writing that book because I felt like I was writing it from the perspective of somebody that all this stuff doesn't come easily to. Uh, I feel like if I write this book, people that are like me, you know, yeah, they have to work at magic. They have to work at psychic ability. It, it isn't just instantaneous for them. That they can do these things too and make it work for them because I made it work for me. I felt like, yeah, okay, maybe I'm not, you know, the best medium in the world. Maybe I'm not the most magical person, but I feel like 
I'm relatable and, and I can make this easy for other people because, you know, I did the work. And, and an altar is a really huge part of that. I mean, if you're just some regular schmo that doesn't really have a huge amount of connection to the dead, that's the way to build it. You know, and it doesn't have to be anything weird like in my book. It can be as simple as a picture of your grandmother and her favorite candy or maybe a bottle of her favorite perfume, you know, something that she likes, maybe replenish her favorite flowers, and it can be in a little corner of your bureau, and nobody has to know that that's an ancestral altar. You know, if that's all you can do in your home, then do that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, it's, you know, many mementos and bones and Robert the Skull and, you know, the whole nine yards. I mean, I you know, it's high octane. It's, you know, mission control for the spirit world. But <laughs> it's because that's what helps me connect. I mean, I'm not I, I, I'm not arrogant or grandiose about the fact that, you know, it's, it's, humility is not my strong point, but at the same time I can be humble here because the reality is I have to work at it. And if I have to work at it and I can make it happen, then the people listening to the show – they can work at it and make it happen. You just can't be allergic to the work. When exactly. I, my we, first ancestor altar was just such an amazing experience. And just having um, having a place dedicated to them where they can communicate through you from, they can touch your life, and you can feed them that energy. I, I always say it's really hard. If, a lot of times people call on their ancestors or call on spirits to affect change in their life. And it's like, okay, well, you got to give them some material to work with you got to give them some energy to work with because, you know, you, you need some tangible changes. You want some tangible energy. And the first time I put my ancestor altar together, it was like they were screwing with me. They would, they, they would move glasses of water. I made a sandwich, put it on the counter, and I turned around and it's gone, and I find it halfway down in the garbage. And, um, you know, I was making a pot roast. They, they loved... They love the food. They would really mess with food all the time, but they wanted to be fed. And so I was making a pot roast, and I had it in um, the roasting pan, and I was cutting it to put part of it into the freezer and and to use part of it for dinner. And the part that I was going to put in the freezer flipped up out. My fork wasn't even in it. It flipped up out of the um, pan, slid across two doorways, and, and stopped right in front of the ancestor altar. And I'm, are you hungry? Would you like some more? <laughs> that was my week's dinner. Thank you. It's all yours now. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you, 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 you know, they are personalities. And yep. they often take the personalities that they've experienced in this life into the other one, which seems weird. You know, some things I think go on, some things don't. You know, I find sometimes, and I think sometimes the spirit has a choice in that. You know, like if, if the spirit of a person that was schizophrenic, they might bring that into the spirit world and they might choose to leave that particular piece of them behind. And, I mean, I think that it's not as static as it is here. I mean, energy is energy, you know. We're all made up of energy. I mean, you know, years ago, uh, Lori Cabot said to me, you know, you put your hand on a chair, you're not really touching that chair. There is molecular space between your hand and that chair. We're all particles. You know, and I think I read once that every three years, every atom in your body has shifted out. I mean, how amazing is that, that we're all just integrating with everything around us? Of course we're able to tap into that energy. You know, and I think that, you know, for me, I I hope that the fact that I'm not, you know, some golden child, you know, or whatever, 
can inspire people to say, well, hey, I did this work. I mean, it's like, I, you know, when I did Ghost Adventures, a lot of people didn't see this, you know, they might have seen the show, but they don't know the behind the scenes. Like, I was kind of pissy because, you know, I didn't want to do this one particular location shoot. I wanted to do the witch house. You know, I wasn't mm-hmm. as crazy about doing the Lyceum. I wanted to do the witch house. So I told them, okay, I'm going to do the witch house. The city owns it. I'll score points with the city, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Politics. Right. But it's not remotely haunted. What am I going to do? You know, I said, so I told the, the, te- the location scout, I said, well, we'll make it haunted. I'll do a necromantic ritual, you know, something. We'll, we'll draw the spirits. And, you know, I've done a lot of work at the Lyceum restaurant, <clears throat> which is a wonderful, you know, I just, I didn't really want to be there at the time. They were under new ownership. Under the previous ownership, I didn't really want to be there. And, um, you know, it's a nice restaurant. They've got great food. And I didn't want to, to be there at the time, so, but I've done a lot of work there before. And Bridget Bishop is the spirit that haunts that place. So we get to the witch house, and I grab Telly's hand, and I point my hand out into the direction of the Lyceum when I'm in the backyard of the witch house, and the, and the, the manager of the house was there to witness this. And I said, Bridget Bishop, you know, please, if you've ever loved working with me, depart that house. Give them no show. Give them no audience, you know, because I did not want them upstaging the witch house. You know, whatever I was going to do, I wanted that to be the show. So we get in. We meet the guys from Ghost Adventures. I mean, they were a little annoying because they were very rude to the spirits. You know, I think they could be a little bit more... um, Conciliatory. I mean, you don't go into somebody's house and, and be rude to them, but luckily there weren't many spirits there to begin with, so they didn't offend anyone there. But, you know, they, they were a little bit obnoxious in their way, but I don't believe that, you know, so a lot of people say these reality shows are faking it. I don't believe they're faking it. They only had one guy with them that was, you know, plugging in equipment. There they, they weren't enough of a crew. There was not enough of a crew there to, you know, okay. to fake things. You know, everything was coming through those machines, was really coming through the machine. We got in, and the machinery went nuts. Then, when I pricked my finger and put the blood in the chalice, that's when everything really went crazy. Now, they didn't show that. I don't think they really showed or described what I was doing with the chalice because they didn't know. And I didn't say, oh, I'm going to do... You know, so they, they, they showed all the stuff going nuts. The ghost boxes, the PX ovulus machine started spitting out the word apple which, you know, Bridget Bishop owned an apple orchard. The the ghost box called out my full name, the name of the skull, Robert, which was fun for me because um, I'd always said, oh, Sean, you, you made up that name, or, you know, that's not the real name, and apparently it was his real name. And then finally they asked what the spirit was that was coming through, and the ghost box said Bridget Bishop. Now, she'd never have gone to that house. That was the home of one of the witch trials judges. That would have been the last place she would have wanted to be. But because we had asked her to leave the Lyceum using magic, mind you, uh-huh. necromancy, um, where else was she going to go? She, I think it meant, I guess she must have decided, well, I'll come help Christian out and give him a good show. And needless to say, when they did the Lyceum spot, which was the second half of the show, they didn't get anything. I think somebody said they heard the name Mary in a window or something. I don't know. But it was not, I mean, there was nothing major. It was so small and so minuscule by comparison to what happened at the witch house, which isn't haunted. And the life is. It. It, just goes, it just goes to show you magic works. You know, I'm no great medium, but I was able to use the steps that I talk about in that book. I had the jar of the honey. I had the, gla- you know, the chalice. I had the skull. I had the bronze blade. 
I had a U wand, you know, I had incense, you know, all these different things that go back into antiquity as tried and true methods for drawing the spirits. You know, I didn't invent these things. I mean, I sort of brought them together. You know, there's some things I combined from different cultures. You know, I love Dittany of Crete for conjuring the spirits and Wormwood. Those are more European, but I add in a little copal because the Mayans use that. You know, so I might bring these cultures together, but I didn't invent these techniques. They're ancient. And one of the reasons when I wrote this book I didn't go into a lot of the modern Wiccan books is I didn't really want to be pulling on what was now. I really wanted to go back, you know, Storm turned me on to Questia.com, you know, which is a fantastic research site, and, and Raven Gramassi turned me on to Google Books. And between the two of those, I was able to find source material I never would have been able to find five years ago. This book couldn't have been written five years ago unless I wanted to travel to libraries all over America. That's amazing. That's amazing. I want to talk about more about that on the other side of the break. Um, make sure that you go over to SalemHacks.com, visit Christian Day, and you can also go to his personal website. It's ChristianDay.com, which pretty much goes to every site that he has, which he has like a 14 million. So uh, that will help to hook you up there. You're listening to Keep It Magic here just because I'm going to make Jackie all happy is a little Adele.
and welcome back to Keep It Magic. That was the lovely Adele. Yeah, Adele. We love her. Pick up the phone and give I us a call. I just do. I love her. <laughs> give us a call, 760-539-3235. That's 760-539-3235 to reach Jackie up the air. Of course, go to CoventryCreations.com. Again, that's CoventryCreations.com. And you can also um, check out our website for the show, which is KeepItMagic.com. And also fan us up at, on Facebook which is keepingitmagic.com. It's currently 10 minutes after 5 here on the East Coast, which means it is 2.10 p.m. on the West Coast, and it's every single hour in between. You're listening to Keep It Magic. We are interviewing the very talented, wonderful, and uh, gifted Christian Day. Um, Christian, uh, how did this whole process in regards to you deciding to do this book to the finished project. Um, first of all, how long did it take you, and what all went into it? Excuse me. Um, well, the first two chapters, Sean and I started back in like 2006, 2000, actually 2005. Um, years ago, I was having this conversation with my good friend Bloody Mary, um, who does Bloody Mary's tours in New Orleans. She's a voodoo priest in both Haitian and Creole traditions one of the most amazing mediums and magical people and the best tour in the world, if you're going to come here. And, um, I don't know, we were having this debate over writing. I didn't want to write a book. And she said, well, what are you going to write about? You know, and, and, you know, like, and I didn't, I was a little bit taken aback, but I get what she was saying now because, you know, there's just so many repetitive books. She says, all these books just copy one another. What's your source material going to be? And so that, phrase stuck in my head for, you know, many years, source material, source material, source material. So, you know, 2005 comes along, and Sean and I decided to write this book, you know, because I've since rewritten the first two chapters, because he was much darker than I was. He was, you know, a little bit different on the scale. Also extremely, you know, probably the most magical person I've ever met, Sean. But we're not the same, you know. So when I when he passed away, I decided to take the book, you know, and rewrite the first chapters. Um, you know, I kept a few things, like the the most famous quote in there that he made is the one you quoted, which is uh, "Spirits hate boring people, and would rather avoid them." <laughs> and I remember arguing with him. I'm like, "We can't say that. What the hell?" You know, and I'm like, and I went to take it out when I was doing the rewrites. I'm like, I can't. I just can't. He'll curse me from beyond the grave. Because ultimately <laughs> it's true. I just didn't want to say it. I thought maybe it was too mean to say. But And what he, mean, what he means by that essentially is, you know, step it up. Live a life filled with passion. You know, you talked about that at the beginning of the show. That's so important. You know, you have to really believe in what you do. I mean, I, you know, I've always been blessed to have that. You know, whether I was a karaoke host in college, a.k.a. Star Search for Drunks, or a web <laughs> designer, I always felt strong about what I was doing. I loved my work. You know, I've, I've always believed in loving what you do, and, and I feel like that's why I'm good at it. You know, if you love it, you, you take it that extra mile, you know. And so um, I shopped the book around. You know, at the time, you know, Wiser was moving away from witchcraft books. They still kind of are, but not as much as they were. You know, they were, right. they were a little bit more into it now. But there was a period where they were just really going all self-help. And, you know, Llewellyn said, oh, you've got to write the whole book. If, you know, And I'm like, I'm not going to write the whole book and then have you say you don't like it. 
Like that's annoying. <laughs> right. You know, the standard the standard is you write two chapters and there you go. And and I mean at least with nonfiction I think. Um, I think with fiction they tend to want a little more, but but either way, you know, I, I, I put this together, they all turned it down. You know, so I sort of set it on the back burner and then, you know, everything started happening um with the media. You know, I was getting a lot of publicity uh, with the festival and the shops and everything else. So, you know, I think Wiser took another look and, you know, they actually, I, I don't know that they even read it the first time, but they read it this time. And, you know, my editor, Amber, um, loved Good it. Beer. You know, <laughs> how do you say her last name? Good and beer. Good and beer. Good and beer. Just say good and beer. I know. I love her. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, she took a chance on me. I was, I'm very grateful to her, and, you know, that's how I got to meet Lisa Trudeau, their publicist, who's amazing. And, um, you know, so, so I, I decided, okay, Wiser went with me, and, and really that's what I wanted. I knew that if I get a reality show, which is probably going to happen at some point, that the only kind of book I was going to be able to write was, you know, mass audio. You know, and that's not always a bad thing. I mean, you know, my friend Fiona Horn is absolutely one of the most brilliant witches I've ever met. But most of her books are written for more mass audience appeal. So she gets critiqued in some of the more intellectual corners of the pagan world because they don't think she knows her stuff. And it's not that at all. She's just trying to reach more people to help more. You know, I mean, it brings out this magic to more people that can use it. So, you know, there's a... There's a plus to those kind of books and that they're more accessible to regular people, you know, seeking answers. And I knew that if I got a reality show, I'd be writing something like, you know, Skinny Italian from, you know, Teresa on The Real Housewives, only mine would be Not So Skinny Witch. And it would have to be, like, you know, for the regular people. I really wanted to write something that was high-octane, intellectual, hardcore, unapologetic, and I didn't want to self-publish it. I'm, I'm not dissing self-published books, but there is something. There's a credibility factor in Wiser. Yep, there is. There, I felt I mean, the same way. I, put my books. And in I my know head. you know that because you're with them. And there is a credibility factor to that because they if they don't take just any book. Their books are very intellectually motivated. You know, they're not. They don't. You know, Llewellyn tends to do this thing where they rip apart your whole book and basically change it. <laughs> You know, it's like their editorial <laughs> process is a lot more invasive for many people. I mean, that may be because their own writing is bad, I don't know. But, I mean, I know in the case of Wiser, they did very little to change my book, and it was almost entirely grammar, and there was even very little of it. I would say maybe fewer than 50 little edits, and they were tiny, like right. a comma or, or you know, and, and it, and I know they really went through it, but, it, you know, I guess I was a pretty good writer. I had some help with a few of the chapters from Rosemary Ellen Guiley because originally she was going to be my co-author. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, we sort of discussed it and felt the book really represented me personally better because it's more about what I do in my daily life and practices and it's not about what she does in her daily life and practices. So it, it worked better. But, I mean, I ended up... You know, not totally rewriting, but definitely tweaking the the stuff that she wrote, you know, to be in my voice. I mean, she did the chapter on ghost hunting, but I added another third to it. You know, I mean, they're putting all my spin on it. You know, so I did, I mean, she did, I think, five out of the 13. And, um, you know, and I'm I'm grateful to her because it was very much a help. And, you know, she's written over 50 books. And what was great about it is I, I didn't think that I could write a book on my own. And... 
having her with me kind of gave me the confidence to know that, Mm -hmm. you know, the chapters that I did write entirely without, you know, anybody, um, definitely, you know, like the last one on the festivals of the dead, you know, and, uh, the ones on the altars, and the, I mean, it was just gave me that confidence as a writer, like, hey, I can do this, you know. And right. I mean, it's funny because I'm actually co-authoring my next book as well, but for a different reason. Um, my friend and uh, high priestess of Hecate, Melissa Mayhem, who owns Good Moto Tattoos in Beverly, she and I are doing a book on Hecate, and we may be going to Turkey in August for the Hecatesia, which is the time oh, of the wow. festivals of Hecate. I'm sort of wondering if I can get away with it. I think I look better in drag than I, I, I might be wearing a hijab or whatever. You oh, know, my just God. You look hideous in drag. No, no, no. I look, you know, I look fabulous. I have these old videos that somebody has of me that, you know, when I have the makeup done and everything, I actually make a better woman than I do a man. But regardless, it's not something I do often, but I think I'd have to do it there just so that I don't get, you know, I'm too weird as a man. I'd, I'd have to go around wearing one of those Muslim gowns and the hijab on my face and just be like, hello, 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 hello. You know. <laughs> just sort of hmm. sneak about, you know. Well, I don't want to end up like in that Midnight Express movie, you know, when you end up in one of those Turkish prisons. That could be kind of scary. <laughs> I mean, those Turkish men can be really hot, you know. But in any event... Um, <laughs> you know, it, it was just, it, it was an incredible process writing it, but ultimately the vast majority of it was written in in a month. Like I started writing mm-hmm. January 1st of 2011, and I, I literally had almost all of it done by the 6th of February, and then, you know, doing all my edits and tweaks. It was about the 15th or so of February, I think I submitted it. And... Wow. um yeah, so, but I mean, again, I had, you know, five chapters written that I had to basically, I mean, I rewrote a lot of it and I added a lot, but a lot of it was tweaking, mm-hmm. um, you know, because Rosemary's editorial voice is much more encyclopedic than, you know, I mean, she writes encyclopedias and information books, and I'm writing this, you know, whacked out occult book, so I had to kind of make it a little more, uh, a little less, you know, more like information and more like, Ooh, you know, I had to add a little more of the spook factor. It's so amazing when you just let yourself go into it and start writing and just get lost in it and just write. It's a completely different reality. And sometimes you got to stick your head up going, okay, where am I? What am I doing again? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, but it's I mean, I, I think, it, I, mean, you, I mean, you wrote, I mean, yours is wonderful. I mean, I, you know, I, I think, um, I think you've, Thanks. Just, I mean, we we do well with it too at the store. You know? I mean, plus it, it ties in well with your um, your candles, I, which, by I, the I way, think... do even better in the those pillars do even better in the wall. Oh, awesome! That's great. We're yeah, almost it. completely out. I love it. Well, we're we're making more. Well, cruise on over. I get I get people contacting me all the time. I mean, they're just just saying. So I want to sum up, summon up some spirits. How do I do it? And I go, well, the first thing you do is you go by the witch's book of the dead. And I love that you have this book because I, again, it's I go. This is not my expertise. Um, and I'm I'm happy to say what's my expertise and what what's not. I don't need to know everything because my I don't want to use up all the room in my brain. So um, 
so this this book, I mean, it really I was going through I've gone through it a couple of times and I just like wow, every time I go through it I'm like wow that's another it's another piece because you have all these little tidbits and I love the fact that it's chock full of stuff but it's not super wordy thank you for that um, you get right to the meat of what you want to talk about oh yeah I just I love mean, that well I mean they told me I had 300 pages so I was like mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I knew I wasn't going to have a lot of room to babble. God knows I do ramble. But, you know, I knew with the book I really had to make things. And that was the hard part, frankly, because here I was thinking at the beginning, how am I ever going to do 300 pages? Then it was a matter of how do I get it down to 300 pages because I had far more than that. I mean, there was Ah. a lot that got cut out. Yeah, there was a lot that got cut out. And you haven't published that yet as a Kindle book? No, no. Um... No, because a lot of it was informational stuff and, you know, it wasn't the ritual. I, and a lot of it wasn't so much cut out as it was condensed. You know what I mean? So it's it, mm-hmm. it's it was the, the stuff that was actually just sliced out was just rambling and boring. The stuff that was just too long, I condensed. But I, I may eventually do. I'm noticing now, and this has only been in the last six months, by the way, when my book first came out, the top ten at Amazon were largely made up of traditional books, and that was only six months. That wasn't even six months ago. Right. And in the last three months or so, the top ten of Amazon's best-selling books are almost all ninety-nine cent Kindle books. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that myself. Which is kind of fast. How much money are you really making off of those? But you know, it's well, a lot of I, them are, have, are old, old school books too. Like a lot of um, you know. Um, a lot of uh, what you would call it, um, Scott Cunningham, that that uh, has been around for way longer than I've been a witchling. So, Christian calls him the Tupac Shakur of witchcraft. <laughs> yeah, well, cause he's written more. He was written more books since he's been dead than when he was alive. I wanted to get him to do a blurb for my reviews. You know, I mean, I, I thought, well, he, I told him at Wiser, I said, well. He's still writing. Why don't I get him, you know? Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it, in his book, the digital version, of course, is doing great of, of his book. But, um, you know, I, I might – you know, I, I often thought about self-publishing just to see if I could do it, you know, because I'm a graphics designer and I, you know, I would never get it necessarily into the big box stores, but it would just be kind of funny to have something on Kindle or whatever. Um, but it's a time-consuming process, and I, I think this book that I do with Melissa – I'd like to go with Wiser again. I think it's the type of, you know, I, I can't see Llewellyn taking a Hecate book and not turning it into, you know, Fluffy Bunny something. Like, I mean, you know, when you write a book about Hecate, you really want the real history. You want the hardcore. You want what really happened. You know what I mean? You don't want to water it down. So right. I have to be very careful who I go with in that regard because, you know, while there are a lot of really wonderful Llewellyn books, it's like... You know, they can sort of, their goal is to make it more mass audience. And and I really need this, something like this needs to be a little, mm-hmm. not quite as niche as, you know, some of these Hecate books out there that are self-published, you know, and other books on the occult that, you know, become so niche that their their audience is tiny. But I just feel like Wiser is the right balance for that. You know, yeah, you're not going to sell a bazillion books. You know, they're a smaller company, but at the same time, there's this credibility factor, and that's what I wanted. 
because I, I, you know what, the thing is, people, when they saw that whole Charlie Sheen thing, I got vilified by these pagan bloggers all over the Internet, you know, saying I was stupid, I was, all of the same things they say about Fiona Horn. Oh, he's just this bimbo with eyeliner, he has no idea, he's, you know, he doesn't know witchcraft and all this. So when I wrote this book, at least, I think three of those bloggers that wrote the worst things about me ended up wrote, writing positive reviews of the book. They must have had to choke on the damn things, but they did. <laughs> you know, so it was, it was very gratifying to think that, you know, oh, well, he actually has a brain after all. You know, I mean, well, thank you. You know, but that's kind of why, like, the wiser thing mattered to me because, it, you know, if wiser takes you, you know, it's got to be somewhat credible in that department. And uh, I was very grateful, for, you know, that they gave me a second chance. Yeah, definitely. Christian, where do you prefer that people buy your book? Um, I would say witchesbookofthedead.com, um, or you can go to christianday.com. There's a link there, or you can go to Salem Hacks, and it's on there. And um, you can, if you buy it from me, it's signed. And if you uh, if you put something in the notes of the order, you know, please make it out to so and so, then I'll write a little note to you as well. You know, normally they just they just have my signature, but if you know if you Say, oh, please make out to you know this out to Christine. I'll write a little something to you, you know, and uh, and that you know. That is amazing. Well, everybody, make sure that you cruise on over to SalemHex.com or ChristianDay.com. We're done. Can you believe it? Hour and a half goes so fast. Christian, thank you so much. I've enjoyed having you on, and of course, you know, we're going to do this again. Yes, definitely. I want to bring actually Christian um, in the fall when we do some of our political shows for the election. So I think oh, there's a lot about which politics. You know, I was a politics major at Brandeis. Yeah. Oh, well, then we're in. Let's do that. We're in. We're going to be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming, Christian. We love you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. And, Jackie, we have a lot of stuff that's coming up here on this show. Um, next week, of course, Lorian will be on with us talking about Beltane, the horny holiday. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you know what I want to talk about next week, too, is I want to talk about um, body image. Yeah. I mean, because so many people are shutting down their own personal sexuality because they don't have what they what society is calling the perfect body image. I, just, I did some healing work with a gal the other day, and... And I think that I think that's important to talk about. Yeah, I think it's definitely to talk about. And then the week after that, um, are you gone then, or no, no, we're okay. we're, we're doing we're just, we're chatting. Yeah, Jackie and I will be together alone, and we're going to be doing eclipses, Venus retrograde, lots of astrology. So everybody's saying astrology, astrology, astrology. I'll be doing a lot of astrology on that show. All of the month of May, we'll be focusing on Jackie's book, Coventry Magic. We're going to go through that book with a fine-tooth comb and give you a lot of tricks that are not in the book. So make sure that you tune in the whole month of May, which is going to be um, Coventry Magic Month. It's going to be just Jackie and me, you know, very intimate Jackie and me. It's going to be like the Oprah show. So make sure that you all tune in and listen to reach Jackie up the air. Of course, go to CoventryCreations.com. While you're there, um, uh how this show is made possible, of course, is by your patronage um, of the candles and other products on Coventry. So please pick up uh, some candles for whatever it is that you need. And what do they need to do, Jackie? They need to keep it magic, baby. Keep it magic. <laughs>
fucking like Danny Fly. I pimp to the beat, walking down the street and my news are free. Yeah, this is how I roll. Animal print pants out control. It's Red Bull with the big ass bra and like Bruce Lee, I got the clout. Yeah, girl, look at that body. Girl, look at that body. Girl, look at that body. I work out. Girl, look at that body. Girl, look at that body. Girl, look at that body. I work out when I walk in the spot. This is what I see. Everybody. I'm staring at me, I got passion in my pants and I ain't afraid to show it, show it, show it, show it, show it. I'm sexy and I know it. I'm sexy and I know it. Yeah. When I'm at the mall, security just can't buy them all. And when I'm at the beach, I'm in the speedo trying to tan my cheeks. This is how I roll. Come on, ladies, it's time to go. We headed to the bar, baby, don't be nervous. No shoes, no shirt, and I still get service.